Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports fans, and welcome back to this latest edition of the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we discuss the best of sports from back in the day. I'm your host, Dana Augusta, and I am grateful to have you on, taking time out of your busy day to give us a listen. And just a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get this podcast. The NFL playoffs are finally, finally here, and we're going to take a look at the teams that are in the playoffs and the matchup that will be taking place on Wild Card Weekend. Instead of looking at it by position by position, X's and O's, schemes and whatnot, we're going to be taking a look at a team from a historical perspective. That's our main event for this episode. And later on, we're going to be sending a shout out to a city in Southern California that said hello and then goodbye to not only one, but two NBA franchises in which one of one of those franchises celebrated an anniversary by being founded on this week back in 1967. And within a space of 16 years, they will lose not only one, but two franchises in this most livable city. And of course, we have this week's Home Field Apparel Top 5. So right now, you're tuned in to the historical speak, Historically Speaking Sports Podcast. You're currently going down sports memory lane with us, a member of the Sports History Network. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories, and Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And welcome back to the program. I'm Dana Augusta, your host, and you're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a proud member of the Sports History Network. And if you are a football fan, you got to say that this is the most wonderful time of year. You just got through with the bowl games, right, you know, hovering right around January, New Year's Day and the, and the championship game, which actually wasn't really that much of a game. But you know what I'm saying? And if you're a football fan like myself, you got to be, you have to agree that this is the best time of the year. 
The NFL playoffs are set to begin, and we're not going to do any of the analysis of X's and O's and schemes and that sort of thing. But what we're going to be doing in this segment here on the main event is we're going to be talking about each team and looking at each team through the prism of postseason history. How each team stacks up against all the other teams in this wild card round in history. And because that's what we do here at Historically Speaking Sports. And with that being said, let's get started and we'll go through the list of the games that's going to be played this weekend in chronological order. First game, of course, would be the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers as in Santa Clara. This may be the new bitter rivalry of the NFC. All time, the Seahawks are 17 and 18 in the playoffs and they reached the conference championship game four times with three and one records with three Super Bowl appearances and one Lombardi Trophy, which they won in 2013 in New York City. Their most memorable run came in 1983, which was their first trip to the NFL playoffs. Led by running back Kurt Warner and quarterback Dave Craig and head coach Chuck Knox, they reached the AFC Championship game for the very first time, losing to the Raiders 30-14 at the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. The Seahawks remain the only team in the NFL to have played in both the AFC and NFC Championship games. Their opponents, the 49ers, geez, where can you begin with this team? Overall, they have a record of 35-23 and 23 with five Super Bowl victories in seven appearances. And the Niners are looking to go back to the Super Bowl, where in 2019 they lost to the Chiefs 31-20, which was their last appearance. Last season, the, the Niners lost one step away from the Super Bowl, losing to their longtime rival Los Angeles Rams in L.A. 20-17 in the NFC Championship game. The Seahawks and Niners have only met one other time in the NFC postseason, which was on January 19, 2014. The Seahawks defeated the Niners 23-17 in a game that came down to the final possession. Yet maybe many people remember the game more for the Fox post-game interview between Aaron Andrews and Richard Sherman, more than perhaps the game itself. Don't you ever talk about the best? The next game on the list is the Chargers at the Jaguars. And this game will be taking place in Jacksonville. And believe it or not, this is the first time that the Chargers and Jags would ever meet in the postseason. Speaking of the Chargers, they're 12-18 and 18 all-time in the postseason, with the last postseason appearance coming in 2019. They defeated Baltimore 23-17 in the wildcard round, yet lost to the Patriots in the very next week, 41-28 in the divisional round of the playoffs. Now, when you think of the Chargers, some may think of the 1981 divisional postseason game between the Chargers and Dolphins, known as the Epic in Miami. Another favorite game of mine, since I am a Charger fan, is the 94 AFC Championship game against the Steelers when the Chargers held the Steelers out of the end zone to advance to their first and only Super Bowl. Meanwhile, you have the Jaguars, 7-7 all-time in the postseason. Their last postseason appearance was 2017 and it was a memorable and improbable run. They beat the Bills in a wildcard round 10-3 in Jacksonville, then defeated Pittsburgh 45-42 in the division round and eventually lost to the Patriots 24-20 in Foxborough. Meanwhile, Jacksonville are one of four NFL teams that have never played in the Super Bowl. The others, of course, is the Texans, the Browns, and the Lions. Jacksonville have been to the AFC title game three times, including, their, in, including in their second season of 1995. After doing American sports fans a huge favor in the mid-90s by beating the Bills in the wildcard round in Buffalo, 
They were looking to go to the, who is trying to go to the Super Bowl for an unprecedented fifth time after losing the previous four. They defeated brought the 13 and three Denver Broncos 30 to 27 at Mile High Stadium in maybe one of the most memorable postseason upsets of the 1990s. Yet the fairy tale would end the very next week, losing to Drew Bledsoe and the Patriots 30 to 27 at Old Foxborough Stadium. Does Jacksonville have another such run in them? Well, we'll see. Now on the Sunday's games. Dolphins versus Bills. Now, when you talk about long-standing bitter rivalries in the AFC, the Dolphins-Bills rivalry is right up, right up there. Throughout the 70s, the Bills had never beaten the Dolphins. That's right, they went through a whole decade where the Dolphins beat them every single time. But the Bills have won three of their life, three to four times that the Bills and Dolphins have met in the postseason. The only time that the Dolphins had won, actually, was the last time they met. In 1998, the Dolphins won 24-17. Miami has an overall playoff record of 20-21, and and their last postseason appearance was in 2016, losing to Pittsburgh 30-12. The Dolphins have played in five Super Bowls, with their last coming way back in Super Bowl 19, losing to the 49ers 38-16 at Stanford Stadium. The Dolphins are 2-3 overall in Super Bowls, and this year actually marks the 50th anniversary of the perfect season. Speaking of the end for the Bills, you automatically think of the comeback between the Bills and Oilers in January of 1993. The Bills all-time are 17-19 in the postseason, and the, last, and the last time in the playoffs was last year against the Chiefs, losing in overtime to Kansas City in one of the most remarkable 13 seconds you will ever see. Sorry, Buffalo. They played in seven AFC Championship games and went to four straight Super Bowls in the 1990s and they won two AFL championships before the merger in 1964 and in 1965. Now on to Sunday's games. So the first game on the docket on Sunday is the Giants versus the Vikings. Now, I mean, a second game, I'm sorry, this is the second game. This is the middle game of the triple header taking place on Sunday. Now, unless you're a fan of these two teams, this may be one of the least interesting games of the entire playoff schedule. This may, may be even less, less interesting than the Georgia TCU game that took place this past Monday. The New York Giants are 24 and 25 overall in the playoffs. Yet they played in five Super Bowls and won four of them. Their only loss in the big game came in Super Bowl 35 when the Kerry Collins led Giants lost to the Trent Dilfer led Baltimore Ravens 34 to 7 in Tampa. Last season, their last postseason appearance came in 2016 when they lost to Green Bay 38-13 at Lambeau Field. The 2007 and the 2011 Giants won the Super Bowl both times against the Patriots and both times the Giants entered the playoffs as a wild card. The same as this year. And they beat the Patriots and Patriots in both instances. But the 2000 edition of the Patriots came in the Super Bowl in Glendale where the big game is being played this year. And the Patriots that year was undefeated. Hmm, we'll see. Later, and also there's the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings entered the postseason looking to end the longest Super Bowl drought of the teams that are in the playoffs. The Vikings' last Super Bowl appearance was on January 9th, 1977, losing to the Raiders 32-14 in Pasadena. They are the first team to lose four Super Bowls, and their last postseason appearance came... In 2019, they beat the Saints 26-20 in overtime, then later lost to the 49ers 
The Vikings and Giants met three other times in the postseason. 1993, the Giants beat Minnesota 17-10. In 2001, the Giants blanked the Vikings 41-0 behind the aforementioned Kerry Collins. But the most exciting game came in 1997, when Minnesota behind quarterback Randall Cunningham rallied the Vikings past the Giants 23-22. And so the nightcap of the, of the Sunday triple header is the Bengals at the Ravens. These two teams, despite the fact that they're in the same division, have never played each other in the postseason. This, this game, Bengals-Ravens Part 3, the final chapter. The third and final game of the, is the third and final game of the Sunday triple header. Baltimore has spent most of their existence in the playoffs. They've been a playoff fixture since they came into the league. After moving, to Cle after moving from Cleveland in the mid-1990s. Overall, Baltimore has a 16-11 postseason record with four AFC Championship game appearances and two Super Bowl titles. They beat the Giants in Super Bowl 35 and defeated the 49ers 34-31 in Super Bowl 48 in New Orleans when eventually when the lights came back on. Their last postseason appearance was in 2020 when they lost to the Bills 17-3 in the divisional round. Cincinnati they have probably the weirdest postseason history of all. Since they have won an overall postseason, has an overall postseason record of 8-15, which is a 533 winning percentage, the worst of all the teams in this year's postseason. Yet, contributing to that was seven straight postseason losses. Yet, anytime they have reached the AFC Championship game, they've won. They're 3-0 with the trip to the Super Bowl on the line. In 1981, they beat my Chargers 27-7, which is now known as the Freezer Bowl. Then they beat the Bills 21-10 in 1988, and last year, they upset the Chiefs 27-24 at Arrowhead. But in the three trips to the big game, they have lost them all. All close games, but, none, but nonetheless, they lost. Last season was one of those trips, losing to the Rams. 23 to 20 in LA. And last but not least, probably the most polarizing game of the wild card weekend, Cowboys at the Buccaneers. One side you have the Cowboys, maybe the most overhyped, overplayed, and overtalked about team on this side of the New York Knicks. The Dallas Cowboys have a 35 and 29 overall postseason record. Yet since their last postseason, last Super Bowl appearance, which is Super Bowl 30. The Cowboys are 4-11 in the playoffs, including losing five in a row between 1998 and 2009. The Cowboys have played in a record 16 NFC title games and have eight Super Bowls that they've appeared in, going 5-3 in those games. Their opponents, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, are, and they're led by what I call America's newest uninvited guest, Tom Brady. Will you just retire? Please. Overall, they have a, the team has an overall record of 11 and 10. They played in four conference title games, going two and two. The two losses were to the Rams in 1979 and 1999, and they lost to the Rams last year, 30 to 27. This is the third meeting between the Cowboys and Bucks in the playoffs. Both Cowboy victories. In 1981, the Cowboys won 38 to nothing, and in the following year, the Cowboys claimed a 13 to three win. So that is the playoff matchup. Looking at it through the perspective of history, 
Hope you guys enjoyed it. Coming up next on the show, we're going to be sending a shout out to a Southern California city, which was home to not one but two NBA franchises, which their fans have seen them come and go in the space of only 16 years. And also, of course, we'll count down the five biggest historical sports moments of the week of this week in history, which is the Home Field Apparel Top 5. You're listening to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, a proud member of the Sports History Network. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Alexander Nakarada from filmmusic.io. Hello, welcome back to the Historically Speaking Sports Podcast, where we focus on the best of sports from back in the day. And just to remind everyone out there that you can follow us on Twitter at HistoricallySP2 to get your daily dose of sports history. And in addition to that, you could also drop us a line or two at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. And right now, it is time for the Home Field Apparel Top 5. Now, Home Field Apparel is the sponsor of our weekly top five, where we count down the five biggest historic moments in the world of sports that are celebrating anniversaries this week and is being brought to you by Home Field Apparel. Now, the college football bowl season has just ended and March Madness is just around the corner. And the best way to show off your school spirit and your fandom is to wear a shirt or hoodie from Home Field Apparel. They have a wide range of styles for your sports, for your favorite team, with what I call old school logos to not only make you stand out in the crowd, but also show off that you are a true fan. They have shirts that represent close to 200 schools and are adding more schools and more styles every day. And on the website, you can hit the rewards button located at the bottom of the screen to get 20% off of your next purchase. So give Home Field Apparel a try as you watch your team in the tournament and possibly pull off that major upset. That's Home Field Apparel, where they study your school's history, traditions, and legacies to create thoughtful premium apparel. A must-have for, your, for the upcoming tournament. Once again, Home Field Apparel, where they are fond of saying, wear one for the team. Now, this week's countdown will highlight events that took place between the dates of January 8th and January 14th. And so, without further delay, here is the Home Field Apparel Top 5. Number 5. The NCAA announces the basketball tournament will be expanded to 64 teams. On January 8, 1985, 
The NCAA announced that the, that the men's basketball tournament will be expanded to include 64 teams in the famous single elimination tournament known as March Madness. That season, for the first and only time in history, three of the four teams that reached the Final Four came from the same conference. Other than Memphis State, St. John's, Villanova, and Georgetown each came from the Big East. And on April Fool's Day of 85, Villanova upset the heavily favored Hoyers for their first national title. In the years before, the tournament was just 32 teams, which was expanded from 16 in 1975. The opening round game, known as the play-in game or first four, wasn't introduced until 2011. Number four, the Miami Dolphins cap an undefeated season and win Super Bowl VII. Now everyone that follows the NFL knows the tradition of former Miami Dolphins players that played on the 72 team would allegedly pop champagne whenever the last team loses their first game of the season. Now the members of that team could rightly say that they are still perfect. The Miami Dolphins are the only pro football team that went through an entire season, playoffs, and Super Bowl unbeaten and untied. A perfect 17-0. Now after going through the regular season at 14-0, the Dolphins had two AFC playoff games. <laughs> On Christmas Eve, the Dolphins defeated Cleveland 20-14, and then Miami knocked off the Pittsburgh Steelers who was fresh off of the immaculate reception beat them 21-17 at Three Rivers Stadium. Two weeks later, on January 14, 1973, the Dolphins behind the running of Larry Zonka and a pair of interceptions by Super Bowl MVP Jake Scott defeated the Redskins 14-7. The only touchdown that the Dolphins relinquished was scored on a Gary Premium field goal. Now, had he made that field goal, the Dolphins would have won the game 17-0 to conclude a 17-0 season. That is what you would call, that's what you call perfect. Number three, the 49ers defeat the Cowboys in the NFC Championship game, which bore, which bore the new 49er dynasty. In 1980, the 49ers finished with a 6-10 record, but the very next year, the Niners rebounded in a big way, winning 13 games, which was the most in one season in the history of the 49ers. After getting past the Giants, the 49ers were set to take on their rivals from the 1970 and 71 NFC title games, the Dallas Cowboys. In a back and forth struggle at Candlestick Park, the Cowboys took a 27-21 lead late into the fourth quarter. Now with 59 seconds remaining in regulation, San Francisco quarterback Joe Montana while rolling to his right connected with Dwight Clark in the back corner of the end zone to tie the game at 27. The Niners kicker Ray Worsing converted the extra point to give the 49ers a 28-27 win in their first ever Super Bowl appearance. Two weeks later, the Niners and head coach Bill Walsh will claim the team's first of five Super Bowl titles, beating the Bengals 26-20 in the Pontiac Silverdome just outside of Detroit. Number 2. The Bucks end the Lakers' 33-game winning streak. It all started on November 5, 1971. The Lakers had lost three of their last five games and they hosted the Baltimore Bullets at the Farm in Englewood. The Lakers were heading into an unknown future as they had a new coach in Bill Sharman. Elgin Baylor had just retired and they were still led by Jerry West and Will Chamberlain who by this time was in their mid-30s. No one knew what the season had in store. 
On this particular night, the Lakers defeated the Bullets led by future Hall of Famers Earl Monroe and Wes Unsell 110-106 and thus began the longest winning streak in pro sports history. The streak had came close to ending as the Lakers hosted the Phoenix Suns on December the 10th. But the Lakers, behind new stars Gales Goodrich's 32 points and Jim McMillan's 31, the Lakers defeated the Suns 126-117 for their 21st win in a row. And the streak continued. Christmas passed and the streak continued. New Year's Eve and New Year's Day came and went and the Lakers kept winning. During the streak, they had defeated the defending NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks led by Oscar Robertson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar 112-105 in LA on November 21st. Now after winning 33 in a row, they had a rematch with the powerful Bucks on January 9th, Sunday, January 9th, 1972 on national TV on ABC. Led by Kareem's 39 points and 20 rebounds, the Bucks would end the Lakers streak at 33 games, beating the Lakers 120-104 in Milwaukee. The Lakers would eventually defeat the New York Knicks four games to one in the finals for their first ever NBA championship after moving to LA. And the number one moment this week in sports history, Super Bowl III. On January 12, 1969, the Miami Orange Bowl would be the site of Super Bowl III between the Colts, champions of the NFL, and the champions of the AFL, the New York Jets. The Colts had entered the game as 18-point favorites on the strength of their 34-0 trouncing of the Cleveland Browns in the NFL Championship game two weeks earlier. Jets quarterback Joe Namath added to the pregame hype, saying that not only the Jets would win, but that he, he said that he would guarantee the win. Now the Jets started out at started out hot as the Colts as the Jets scored on Matt Snell's four-yard touchdown run in the second quarter. While the Jets were holding their own against the Colts, Baltimore struggled against the Jets defense led by defensive coordinator Buddy Ryan. The Jets forced quarterback Earl Moore in for an injured John Unitas into three interceptions. The Jets went into the half with a 10-0 lead, and in the second half, the Jets would add two more Jim Turner field goals to give the Jets a 16-0 lead. In the fourth quarter, Colts head coach Don Shula finally replaced Earl Moore with John Unitas. With his sore throwing arm, he led the Colts to a late touchdown, but all it did was to avoid a shutout. It was too little too late, as New York claimed the AFL's first ever Super Bowl win, beating the Colts 16-7 in the biggest upset in Super Bowl history, and one of the biggest in sports history. And that will conclude this week's Home Field Apparel Top 5. And coming up next, this week's shout out. And we're going to be sending a shout out to a city in Southern California that was awarded an NBA franchise this week in 1967, only to see that franchise leave town and have another one arrive just three seasons later, after arrived just three seasons after the original left, only have that one skip town just four years after arriving. Details after this. At the Sports History Network, we're all about the sports yesteryear, and so we're pleased to introduce you to Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life. The Row One Gallery features over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, and advertisements in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. Any gallery item may be printed in a variety of sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. It's your choice! 
In the Row 1 shop, you can pick from thousands of unique items that feature retro and historical backgrounds dating back to 1876. We have everything from clothing to phone cases to mugs, even shower curtains. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row one for access to the full row one catalog. When you buy from the gallery today, you can instantly save 15% on your purchase. All you have to do is enter the code SHN15 and your discount will be applied. That's SHN15. That's it. Simple. Save 15% off all your prints in the Row 1 Gallery. Just go to sportshistorynetwork.com backslash row1. And don't forget to check out all the podcasts on the Sports History Network. Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. And right now, this is the third and final segment of the show, which we call the shout out. And this episode, we're going to be saying a shout out to the city of San Diego, California. Now, when you think of San Diego, you probably think of beaches and great weather. And, and if you're a sports fan, of course, you think of the Chargers, who once resided there, and the Padres, who captured the imagination of baseball fans this postseason in reaching the National League Championship Series for the first time since 1998. Yet the one thing you don't necessarily think of is basketball. Now, the powers that be really gave San Diego a try. The ABA had placed two teams in San Diego, the San Diego Conquistadors, coached by Will Chamberlain, and later the San Diego Seals, or San Diego Sales. And the NBA's Golden State Warriors did play a few regular season games in the mid-1970s. Now, the NBA, in its infinite wisdom, decided in the late 1960s to add a second team in Southern California to join the powerful Lakers in that part of the country. So, on January 11, 1967, the NBA awarded a franchise to San Diego, California, which would begin play in time for the 67-68 season. They would call its team the Rockets because San Diego was the home of General Dynamics and was in the process of, of developing the Atlas missile and booster rockets for NASA, which would power the future space shuttle. Now, the team would play its games in brand new San Diego Sports Arena, and from the beginning, poor attendants would play the team as well as a terrible basketball team, which was sort of the norm considering it was, after all, an expansion team. The team was led by former All-American from Kentucky named Pat Riley. Yes, Virginia, that Pat Riley. In the first season, the Rockets finished with 67 losses, which was the most losses in a single season up to that point. In his second season, the Rockets would earn would win a coin toss with the Baltimore Bullets for the right to draft All-American Elvin Hayes from the University of Houston. With the addition of Hayes, the Rockets finished 37 and 45, which was, believe it or not, good enough for a playoff berth in his second season. The team would eventually lose to the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs in six games, but the team, despite its success, was hemorrhaging money at an alarming rate. The financial status was so bad, the Rockets was served an eviction notice from the city and county of San Diego itself. By 1971, the Rockets, who had hosted the All-Star game that year, was all but, for, was all but gone from Southern California. In June, of, on June 23rd of 71, the team was on the verge of folding and was sold to a Houston investment group, and ironically, the team in just, in just its fourth season 
who missed the playoffs by one game finished in the top 10 in home attendance. But San Diego sports fans didn't have to wait long for an NBA franchise. Seven years after the Rockets bolted to Houston amid deep financial problems, the Buffalo Braves, who had financial problems of their own, as well as a complicated home arena agreement in upstate New York, moved across the country and was rebranded the Clippers because of San Diego being known for great sailing ships that passed through San Diego Bay. The team began play in San Diego in 1978, losing 12 of its first 18 games, prompting Clippers Kevin Connard to argue that the Clippers, quote, have the killer instinct of a field mouse. Yet led by Lloyd Free, later to be known as World B Free, as well as Randy Smith, Swin Nader, and Sidney Wicks, the Clippers finished one game out of the last playoff spot their first year in San Diego. Their second year began optimistically by adding former Finals MVP and San Diego native Bill Walton to the Clippers lineup. Yet Walton would end up missing 68 games that year because of foot injuries which hindered the Clippers as they fell in the standings. With the fall in the standings, home attendance would fall as well. By 1981, John Levin, who had brought the team from Buffalo in 1978, sold the team to a Los Angeles real estate developer named Donald Sterling for $12 million. That season, the Clippers finished with a league-worth 17-65 record. Connected? Sterling would eventually move the team to Los Angeles in time for the 1984-85 season, denying the quote-unquote city in motion an NBA franchise. San Diego, America's most livable city, went through two NBA franchises in 16 seasons. And that will do it for this week's shout out as we shout it out to San Diego, California, the home of the Clippers, the home of the Rockets, the home of the Conquistadors, the home of the Sales, and temporary home of the Warriors. Well, thank you guys for listening. And as a reminder, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so you can get new episodes when they are released. Tell your friends, tell people you don't know, and subscribe yourself if you haven't done so already. You can check us out at Twitter at HistoricallySP2, where you get your daily dose of sports history, and you can also drop us a line or two at historically.speaking.sports at gmail.com. So until next time, stay cool, stay warm if wherever part of the country you are, and I'll talk to you guys really, really soon. I'm Dana Guster, and I'll see you next time, and talk to you next time. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Each week, the official Football Learning Academy podcast will take you deep into the history of pro football through interviews with players, coaches, or administrators in the NFL, as well as interviews with Pro Football Hall of Fame selectors, authors, and historians 
You'll learn how the game evolved and important moments that shaped the sport into what it is today. And don't miss the Pro Football History Nugget of the Week. Listen to the official Football Learning Academy podcast on the Sports History Network. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.